Well, if you'd open your Bible to page 321, uh, actually we're going to start somewhere else, but that'll be, that's where we're going. We're going to land uh, on that page. You know, this thought that I'm sharing today, if you paid any attention to the uh, email that I sent, and uh, it was on the screen a moment ago, about God obligates himself to a point. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's surely a better way to say that, but I can't figure it out. I tried, I worked on it, but there is something to that. In fact, there's a huge something to that. The fact of the matter is, uh, of course, that to the points where you and I fit in, but uh, you know, when God promises something and uh, Bible scholars tell us there's some 300 plus Bible promises, promises from God. I've heard preachers say there are 365, one per each day. That's incorrect. It sounds good, makes you think the preacher's been reading his Bible, but that's, uh, there's not a Bible scholar in the world that would agree with that. But having said that, every good Bible scholar would say there, there's some 300 plus. You know, when you read the Bible, sometimes you can read something and say, well, is that a promise? Is that not a promise? Kind of like the parables. You know, they're really, Bible scholars say 39 parables, but having said that, uh, there are other stories that Jesus told that kind of have a parabolic method that wouldn't really be classified as a parable. I don't know why I'm giving out all this information because we don't even have an offering at this. It's not worthy of that. But be that as it may, there are all these Bible promises and God is obligated to keep the Bible promises. And the reason is, is because God cannot lie. Would you agree with that? Now, put your hand or something where you are and turn back in your Bible to page 144. I want to show you a verse. Page 144. I stuck a little card in my Bible knowing I was going back there real quickly. On page 144 in your Bible, hopefully you're in the book of Numbers, hopefully in chapter number 23. And if you look down in verse number 19, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, the Bible says God is not a man. Well, we know that that he should lie, oh, men lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has God said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And we'll not turn to it for time's sake, but over in Titus, the little book of Titus, over near the end of the New Testament, in chapter 1, if I remember correctly, in verse number 2, there is a verse that says something like this, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, it just says so right there in the New Testament, God, who cannot lie, uh, gave before even the beginning of time. He promised. That's a great, great verse. So if you go back now where we are now on page 321, we're going to talk about the fact today that God is obligated. In fact, he obligates himself to a certain point. And the Bible is just full of illustrations of that. For example, let me mention a couple. Uh, God uh, obligate himself to save us if we call on him. You know that verse of the Bible says, Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when you read that verse, God is obligated to do what that verse says, provided we plug in where we need to plug in. God obligate himself to forgive us of our sins. Over in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So God has obligated him, his own self 
to forgive us when we ask for his forgiveness and repent of our sins. God has obligated himself, for example, to direct our lives. Got those verses in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Not he might, would, or could. He shall direct your paths. And then, you know, one of the great verses in the Bible where God obligated himself, God obligated himself to bless us if we obey him. That great, great verse in Deuteronomy chapter 11 says, God says, I set before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey me. So if we obey God, he has obligated himself uh, uh, to, to bless us and to forgive us and to save us and to direct our lives. Now, if, if we took all the verses in the Bible where God has obligated himself to a point. Now, remember that to a point. We'll be at that in just a moment. And there are many, and I've just mentioned three or four here. But each of these verses that I've mentioned plus all the others, they have one thing in common. And if you want to boil it down to one word, it is the word opportunity. In other words, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he obligates himself to do that. But we have an opportunity to call on him. It'd be the same with forgive. It'd be the same with direct. It'd be the same with bless. So yes, God is obligated but it's to a point, and that point is where we become part. Now, in our scripture text today, well, we're in a great little portion of the Old Testament today, God obligated himself to meet the need of the prophet Elijah. And I hope we get to move on in this same chapter to that widow woman with her need that wound up being a blessing to not only her, but to her son. We may not get there. I'm not sure, but that's okay. The, the point that I want to make is, is that it, to me, it just gives me great confidence to know that God cannot lie. And when I read what God has obligated himself to do to a point, and that point is that I must be obedient to do my part. And if I'm obedient to do my part, then what will God do? God will do what God has obligated himself to do. Now, 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah, he's one of my, I love to read about Elijah. Actually, when you read about Elijah, you start reading about him in 1 Kings chapter 17. This is his first appearance that we have in the Bible. And it goes on over into chapter number, to 2 Kings, uh, in, in, in chapter number 2, verse 11, you remember, where he went to heaven uh, on a whirlwind. You know, two men uh, that, that lived on the earth, humans, that somehow bypassed what you and I call physical death. Of course, we know Enoch, the Bible says he was translated. Um, he did not taste death. The Bible tells that in Hebrews chapter 11, that big old honor roll of faith. But this man, Elijah, he was a prophet of God. And these prophets, he was a prophet in, in the northern kingdom in Israel. You, know, you have Israel, the northern kingdom. You have Judah, the southern kingdom. And of course, Judah would be where Jerusalem is, where Bethlehem is there. Well, Israel, the northern kingdom, was even more corrupt in his day and time than was uh, the southern kingdom, Judah. And so there he is, a prophet of God. These prophets were mouthpieces for God. 
And God would give them a word, and they would give that word to the people. And his word to the people was, you need to repent of your sins. But he went on beyond that and said, now here's what God has told me to tell you. If you don't turn from all of your sins of idolatry and all the things you're doing, the consequences are going to be very, very bad. And so obviously he was not a very popular person where he was because people didn't want to hear that. Just like today, people just don't want to hear the truth. You know, we just, you know, we just don't want to hear it. Well, it's exactly the same way. And uh, uh, so to make things worse, uh, they had this king, Ahab. We're about to read about him. And Ahab, (laughs) how would I explain Ahab? Well, he's the worst king they ever had. And I'll show you that in the Bible. If you look back in chapter 16, we're in chapter 17. Look back in chapter 16. Look down in about verse number 30. It says, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. I mean, he's the worst of all the kings. And what makes matters even worse, uh, he married he married old Jezebel. And I don't want to be rude about Jezebel. So let me just read the Bible about old Jezebel. Uh, he, in verse 31, it says he took his wife Jezebel. And, uh, but the problem with Jezebel was she worshipped Baal. So you've got this, you've got this uh, king who's married this woman Jezebel. And, you know, women have a great influence over men. Could I have an amen from that from somebody? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, they do. You know, you know, if I'm trying to get a family to make an extra gift to the church, I talk to the wife. That's just how that deal works. She can kind of nudge him on, you know, and, you know, they, but women do have a great influence. So, you know, I really believe that though. I mean, a woman, the, the, the influence of a wife's unbelievable. And it was sure so in the case of Ahab, if you're in chapter 16, look in verse 32, what she had him do. She set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal. So now here's, here's the king, and he is supposed to be worshiping the true God, and his wife has him now building a, a temple for Baal. In verse 33, it says, Ahab made a wooden image. They're just going to make him a god. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were ever before him. So now you've got the picture. We are now ready to kind of jump into this thing. And as we come to chapter 17, we read about God obligating himself to meet the needs of Elijah. And because the people were so evil, one of the things God did, he accompanied their messages, we'll call them, as they spoke to the people with miracles and wonders. I mean, God said, okay, if you won't listen to what the man of God's saying, See if it'll get your attention. And so God has these miracles and wonders happen. We see two of them right here in chapter 17 immediately. Well, let's look in chapter 17 and see how this thing works. It says, Elijah, the Tishbite uh, of the inhabitants of Gilead, which is over on the east side of the Jordan, which today, in modern day, it would be Jordan. If you've ever been to Jordan, I've been one time, and uh, on my way to Petra. And uh, so this is the area. Uh, As the Lord God of Israel lives, he said, before whom I stand, uh, there shall be not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So he is prophesying a drought. He said it's fixed to dry up around here. 
Then the word of the Lord came to him. Now see if there's going to be no water for three years, where's he going to get his water? Well, the, God told him, he said in verse three, he says, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now that's what God told him to do. Now God's obligating himself to do this to the point. Here's the point. <laughs> Elijah's got to do what God told him to do. Well, he did. In verse 5, it says, So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now look at verse 6. See, is God doing what he obligated himself to do? The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Verse 7, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Well, here's the point. God obligated himself to meet his need for food and water. And he did what he should have done. He obeyed. And God, God had said, this is what I'll do. And God did, as he always does. God does what he says. Now, we have to be in position to do that. You know, that, that's, one, that, that's one of the ways, I think, in most of our lives, if not all of our lives, we miss all that God has for us. We're not in position to receive it. It's kind of like taking a shower. If you want to really get a good shower, you need to get dead center in the shower. You can't stand outside the shower and just put your arm in the shower and say, man, that's called a sponge bath. That's what I use. You know, my grandmother, I use, you know, she, my grandparents kind of raised me and, and she'd tell me, Charles Jr., now you go take a bath. Well, I'd come out in two minutes. She said, you take a bath? I, yeah, yeah. That's back before I was sanctified like I am now. And she said, did you take a sponge bath? Did you really get in the tub? Well, you know, I, well, I, well, you go back in there and take a sponge bath. I mean, you go back and get in the tub. Well, I think many times in the Christian life, seriously, we take sponge baths. Jimmy sang it a moment ago. We need to get out deeper in the water. And I tell you, that would preach if it were church and we were about to take up an offer and I'd preach a sermon. I could preach that. I know if I'd get out deeper in the water doing the things God has obligated himself to do, I would receive more of what God has for me than I will taking spiritual sponge baths. That's the, that's the point that I make here. You know, I've often wondered, had Elijah, think about this. God told him what to do. He said, you go to this brook and the water's just going to be flowing by and the ravens are going to bring you food morning and night. Now, had he not gone there, let's just say he didn't go. What, now, I'm just, I'm just speculating I think the water would have been right there flowing, and I think the ravens would have come just like God said. Now, uh, after a while, because there was a drought, there was no water to flow. But until the water just completely ran out, that, that would have had water in it. But, see, the water would have been there, and the food would have been there. Provision was there, but he just wouldn't have been there to receive the provision. And so oftentimes, as I look back on my life, and even in the present, I think, you know, if God says do something, and I don't do it, God's going to, God's going to, I'm just going to miss what God was trying to let me be part. And I don't want to miss what God has for me to be part. And, and we, it, as humans, we do that sometimes, but it, it's a beautiful thing how this works. Now, if you look down in beginning verse number eight, God, God obligated himself again 
but in kind of a different way. Let me just read a little bit of it. it says, then the word of the Lord came to uh, Elijah again, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, the ravens took care of the situation back over here in the first part of this chapter. Now this widow woman. So he came, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a little morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my, my son that we may eat and not die. Look what Elijah said. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus the Lord God says of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. Verse 16 is amazing. <laughs> the bin of flour was not used up. Nor did the jar, jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to Elijah. So, you know, here's, here's another instance where Elijah, you know, obeyed. The woman did what she felt like the man of God had said to do. And, and God was obligated to meet their needs. Now, here's the deal. When we take advantage of our opportunities, God that he gives, God is obligated, has obligated himself to do everything God promises to do. You say, well, how does this work out in this world in which we live? Well, here's the problem. And I think, I won't ask for an amen on it, but I, 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 you, I would certainly get one. We live in a fallen world. We do. We just have to understand. From, from the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned to this very moment, we live in an evil world. I mean, just how evil more can it be? We've gone now to destroying Jewish cemeteries. I mean, how? Folks say, what's wrong with these people? I'll tell you, the devil's what's wrong with these people. I mean, when you, when you get so evil, the, I mean, it's not just evil. I mean, we live in a fallen world. That's why people are sick. That's why people die. That's why we go through pain. That it was never that way until Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. So we live in a fallen world. And as we watch all this stuff going on, and part of it we'll see, hopefully not destruction of Jewish cemeteries, but, I mean, sickness and death and all these things that we deal with, we, we live in, in a fallen world. Now, here's, here's what we have to, we know this. You and I, we can't make the world respond properly to what God says. Like I can preach all the sermons I want to that God gives me opportunity to preach. I can't even get all my congregation to, to do what the Word of God says to do. I mean, that's not, my, that's not my responsibility to start with. My responsibility is to teach what the Word of God says. And at that point, it's between the people and God. That, that's, how, that's how I view that. But I, I accept that. I don't feel the pressure of trying to get all the people, even in my own church, to respond to what the Word of God says. I will teach it, encourage them to do it. But I sure can't 
make the world. We live in an evil world, so we say, okay, all Christians need to use their influence to make the evil world respond properly to God. Well, it will never happen. But here's what can happen. You and I can respond properly. You see, we do not live in a perfect world, but listen to me, we're going to one. We are going one day to a perfect world. In the meantime, my, my responsibility, I'm not the Holy Spirit, nor are you. I just need to focus on responding myself as I should. And when I do that, to the opportunities that God gives, and it's something we can all do. That's one thing every one of us in this room can do. As God gives you an opportunity, and as God makes a promise to you and obligates himself that he will do what he says to a point, and you are that point, I'm that point, we have to obey and move forward. I read this little saying that I really love. It said, God's man, and it could be God's woman, matters not. Obeying God's voice will always have his needs met despite the conditions that exist around him. That's a tremendous little thing. You know, God's people, God's people obeying God's voice will always have their needs met regardless of what the situations are around them. And I believe that with all of my heart. Jimmy... I asked him to sing it, and he did. He start, th- this, is, this is what I want you to take away today. We, we just need to cast our nets out a little deeper. And when God, when God gives us an opportunity, and God has obligated himself to do something, we just simply need to trust and obey. What's that old song we used to sing? Trust and obey, for there's no other way how true that is. Cast our nets out deeper.